The Bible reading for this morning comes from Genesis chapter 29, beginning at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Then she said, Here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me, and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, What good fortune! So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, How happy I am. The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah. And she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. 
Some time later, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. Well, it was just over 10 years ago on a horribly sweaty, disgusting February day in Townsville that I finally plucked up the courage to ask Janice to be my wife. And just so I don't leave you all into suspense, she said yes. But over the next two days, I experienced both extremes of our culture's view on marriage. You see, we got engaged on a Saturday, so the next day was Sunday, we went to church. And at church, it was all very exciting. Our church family rejoiced with us while we were rejoicing. People that we didn't even have that much to do with, they sought us out to congratulate us. It was all very nice. But what we did notice is that there were some people who seemed to give us the feeling that now that we were engaged, we had arrived. It was as if they were now telling us that we had made it. By getting married, or at least you know, choosing to be married, we would complete our life's work our destiny, that we would achieve our purpose in this life. For them, marriage was not just good, it was ultimate, the pinnacle of human experience in this life. Well, that was day one of being engaged. The next day was Monday, which meant I went to work. At the time, I worked at a nickel refinery, an industrial plant, and the majority of my colleagues were blokes who were unhappily married, or even more unhappily divorced. And some of them quite seriously and quite brutally scoffed at my news and told me what an absolute idiot I was for wanting to get married. And believe me, they did not hold back. Idiot was not the word they used. Two days, two extreme views on marriage. And I think it's safe to say that everyone else in our culture would fit somewhere between these two. On the one hand, marriage being the greatest good, the pinnacle of human joy and satisfaction, to marriage being the greatest evil, a prison, a trap, a fast track to bitterness and disappointment. Now, I actually think both extremes have captured something that is true about marriage. You see, it's true that marriage is good, but at the same time, it's also true that marriage very often can be a fast track to disappointment and bitterness. There's an element of truth to both points of view. But I'm assuming that within this room, most of us would gravitate more towards the marriage is good end of the spectrum, and I think that's a good thing. But the, things to, the thing that today's passage will help us to see is that as good as marriage is, it's not something we should set our hopes on. Because when we do make relationships or marriage or having children our goal, our ambition, the thing that we think will make our lives worth living and give us hope, well, it's then that we entirely miss the point of why God gave us marriage in the first place. 
Now, we're not actually just talking about marriage and children this morning. Now, family relationships are what we see in this text. Uh, But this morning, we're going to see that putting our hopes in anyone, whether that's a spouse or your children or your parents or your friends, putting your hopes in anyone or anything, career, hobbies, wealth, putting your hope in anyone or anything is always a fast track to bitterness and disappointment. If we look to the things of this world for fulfillment, not only will we be unsatisfied, but we will miss the only thing, the only one who can satisfy our deepest longings. That's where we're heading this morning. Let's take a look at God's word together now. Now today we're halfway through our series in the book of Genesis And Genesis is the story of beginnings. It's the story of the beginning of time, the beginning of humanity, the beginning of sin and death. But most importantly, and the thing that we've been focusing on lately, is that it's the beginning of God's plan to overcome sin and death and to instead bless all the nations of the world. Now, you see, Genesis is a a cosmic story. It's huge. It deals with God's eternal plan, a plan that he had from before the beginning of time, a a plan that will culminate at the very end of time. It's a plan which affects every single person in all of time and from every place. It it is huge and cosmic. Nothing could be bigger. And yet while this plan is cosmic, it is also deeply personal. And that's what I love about Genesis. God's plan begins with just one man, just, just one, Abraham. An ordinary man, a man that God chooses, that God chooses to make promises to him. And the promises that God made to Abraham have been passed down to, to one man, Isaac, and then to another man, Jacob. Today we see how God's cosmic plan for the whole world plays out in the lives of just two women, two sisters, Leah and Rachel. And we see how that plan begins to grow as these two women have children. But you see, it's a deeply personal story, and in many ways, it's a tragic story. It's a messed up story. It's a story of deep longing and deep pain which means it's a story that I'm sure many of you will be able to relate to, at least at some level. Now, last week we read the story of how these two sisters found their way into God's cosmic salvation story. Now, Rachel, she's the younger sister, she was the woman that Jacob fell in love with after meeting her at a well. But after Jacob worked seven years to earn the right to marry the love of his life, Laban, Rachel's dad, he tricked Jacob and under the cover of darkness and under the effects of alcohol most likely, he tricked Jacob into marrying Rachel's older sister, Leah. But Jacob was persistent and so he worked another seven years in order to be able to marry Rachel. So Jacob now has two wives, two sisters, Rachel that he loves Leah that he doesn't. 
And in fact, in verse 31, the NIV tells us that Leah was unloved. The Hebrew is probably a little bit stronger than that. Leah was hated. Jacob did not care for Leah at all. Now, I want you to consider Leah for a moment. Imagine what it's like to be Leah. The way Leah is introduced in the Bible was last, last week we saw it in chapter 29, verse 17. The only thing that we're told about Leah is that Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Now, we don't quite know what weak eyes actually means. Given that she's compared with Rachel's beauty, it would seem that this is a comment more on her appearance than on her vision. Maybe she was cross-eyed, maybe she had missing an eye, we, we just don't know. But here is a woman who is being compared to her sister, and it's not a favourable comparison, is it? Leah is someone who has lived her whole life in the shadow of her sister. Her parents have proudly showed off Rachel, not Leah. The eligible bachelors come searching for Rachel, not Leah. Leah is the supporting cast in a TV show called Everybody Loves Rachel. Her dad knows no one is going to want to marry her, so he sneakily offloads her. Laban treats his daughter like damaged goods that no one wants to buy. And so Leah finds herself married to a man that wishes he wasn't. Can you imagine what it's like to be Leah? Now, I'm sure there's some of you who at times haven't needed to imagine. You know this kind of pain. You know what it's like to be unloved, unwanted, uncared for, to feel like damaged goods. Leah's life is a story of longing and pain. And God sees it. Verse 31 begins, When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. You see, the Lord saw and so he acted. God sees that Leah is unloved, but God is the God who loves the unloved. And so he shows her kindness. He gives her the incredible privilege of bearing Jacob's children, of making her the mother of God's chosen people. And so she has her first son, Reuben. Now, the name Reuben, like all of the names here, are, are Hebrew names, and they're, they're kind of plays on words. Reuben is a play on the Hebrew word to see. And Leah says, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. But her husband does not love her now. So God gives her a second son, Simeon, a play on the Hebrew word to hear. God has heard that I am not loved. But still Leah is not loved. She has a third son, Levi, which means attached. Now at last my husband will become attached to me. But he doesn't. And so she has a fourth son, Judah, which means to praise. And here it's as if she concedes defeat. This time I will praise the Lord. She's almost given up hope on her husband ever loving her. 
the thing she longs for more than anything else, she can't have it. She has always been unloved. She will always remain unloved. And so in verse 35, it seems that Jacob puts her away. She stops having children. Leah's story is a tragic tale of pain and misery as she doesn't get what she longs for. Now, in chapter 30, the focus shifts to Leah's sister, Rachel, but her story is not much different. You see, Leah has Jacob's children, but she cannot gain Jacob's love. Well, Rachel's problem is just the opposite. She has Jacob's love, but she cannot have his children. And so Rachel is jealous of her sister. The young, attractive one that everyone loves is jealous of the one thing that she can't have. And it leads to a breakdown in her relationship with her sister, which we'll see a little bit more later on. It also leads to her fighting with Jacob, her husband. She goes to Jacob in verse 1 and she starts yelling, Give me children or I'll die. You see how desperately she longs for this thing. Her life is not worth living without it. Now, Jacob gets angry. He's thinking, well, clearly I'm not the problem. I've had four kids with your sister. Thankfully, he doesn't say that. But what he does say is not much more sensitive, is it? He basically says, if you've got a problem, you go take it up with God. Not my fault. Well, she doesn't take it to God. Instead, she decides to take things into her own hands. She uses her slave girl as a surrogate, just like Sarah, Jacob's grandmother, did all those years earlier. Now, this is a perfectly legal, legitimate thing for Rachel to do, but it didn't end well for Sarah, and it doesn't end well for Rachel either. Now, it works at first. Rachel's slave girl has two sons, But like an athlete who throws their arms in the air before crossing the line only to be overtaken in the last stride, Rachel celebrates too early. You see, just as Rachel is declaring her supremacy over her sister, I've wrestled with my sister and I've won, Leah decides that she too will play the same game. And she gives her slave girl to Jacob and she gains two more sons. Now, I don't know what Jacob is doing at this point. He's certainly not thinking with his brain. Maybe there's another part of his body that he is thinking with. But he just goes along with whatever crazy plan his wives come up with. And the games don't end here. In verse 14, Leah's eldest son, Reuben, goes out and finds some mandrakes. Mandrakes were considered to aid with fertility. They were actually a bit of an aphrodisiac. And so Rachel wants them. She's getting desperate. I want children. Maybe this will help. Well, Leah won't have it. You see the coldness of her response. Wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? It's cold. But Rachel makes a deal. She says, you give me some mandrakes, I'll give you a night in bed with Jacob, as if that's something that she can offer. It's a sketchy deal. Jacob goes along with it, but it doesn't work. 
You see, Rachel gets the mandrakes, but it's Leah who falls pregnant. And in fact, she falls pregnant three times. She has two sons and then she has a daughter. And so it's not until verse 22 of chapter 30, after Leah has had six sons and a daughter, after each of the slave girls have had two sons each, after Rachel has watched everyone succeed where she has failed, where she's watched everyone get the thing that she wants, after Rachel's experienced the grief of unresolved longing as she's invited to baby shower after baby shower after baby shower, finally God remembers her. Finally, the author of life gives her the ability to conceive. Finally, Rachel gets the thing that she's longed for, a son of her own. But it's what she names him that is quite telling. In verse 24, she named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. May the Lord add to me another son. Do you see? It's not enough. She spent her whole life longing, her whole life waiting, her whole life dreaming, and she finally gets the thing she longs for, and yet she's still longing. She still wants more. Give me another one, God. It's not enough. Rachel is still longing. It's the same for Leah. Did you notice her in verse 20? She's had her sixth son. God has presented me with a precious gift, verse 20. This time, my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. This time, now he'll love me. Now he'll notice me. Now. She's still longing. She still doesn't have the things she's longing for. Leah spent her whole life longing for a husband who loves her. She never gets it. Rachel spends her whole life longing for children. And when she gets it, she's not satisfied. Why is that? Well, it's because they're longing, longing for the wrong things. Do you see that they've got their hopes pinned on Jacob? They're basing all of their purpose in life on what Jacob can give them. They want his love, his children. They're looking to a husband to give them the kind of fulfillment in life that no husband can possibly give. You see, they've got their hopes set on Jacob, but all the while there is a danger that they are missing the one who is truly worth hoping in. Because throughout the jealousy, the strife, the bitterness, the fighting, the pain, these two sisters are missing. They're not noticing that there is someone else who is at work here. These two are longing for what Jacob can offer them, but it is God who sees their struggle, who hears their cries, and it is God who loves the unloved and shows kindness kindness to the afflicted it is God who is fulfilling his promises to Abraham by growing his family into a nation which means it is God that they should be putting their hopes in 
See, while they're trying to outscore each other in the baby-making game, they don't even notice the fact that God is growing them into the nation that he promised to Abraham. These 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. Through them will come the prophets, the priests, the kings. Through Leah's fourth son, Judah, will come Jesus, the Messiah, the hope of the world. But they don't see it. And we face the same danger. Friends, some of you are here and you grieve the fact that you are single. Some of you know the pain of childlessness. Some of you know the bitterness of feeling that there is no one that loves you or cares for you. And friends, if that is your pain... Please know that God sees you, he hears your cries, and he deeply cares about your story. But there is a temptation for you, as there is a temptation for all of us, in fact. There is a temptation that all of us will put our hope in these things that we long for. We put our hopes in someone or something. We put our hopes in the idea of marriage. We think if we can just find someone who will marry us or the right person who will marry us, that will make my life better. That will take away my problems. We put our hopes in children. We think if we could just have children, Or if our children would would grow up and, and be successful, then, then I'll have meaning. We put our hopes in in our own achievements. We we set ourselves a goal, and if we get that, then we'll have a life worth something, a life we can be proud of. We put our hopes in our wealth, in our popularity, in, in all sorts of Something or someone. And friends, whatever that thing is, whoever that person is, hear me, it will fail you. They will fail you. Now you're thinking, no, no, you don't know my husband. He's brilliant. I know that, Janice. But he will fail you. If you put your hopes in a person, even the very best people, or even in the very best things, they will leave you broken, in pain, and unsatisfied. And the reason for that is that there is nothing in this world, no one in this world, who was ever meant to bear the weight of your longings. But friends, there is someone who can. Last week I mentioned how Jacob found Rachel at a well, which was significant because his father Isaac had also found his wife at a well. Well, they weren't the only ones because a little bit later on in the Old Testament in Exodus, Moses finds his wife at a well. And so in John chapter 4, when Jesus goes to a well and meets a Samaritan woman, A woman who has been longing for love and has set her hopes on husband after husband after husband. It's significant because Jesus is coming 
as a husband. Jesus comes to the woman who is looking to love, to complete her, to satisfy her. And Jesus comes and like so many people who think, who who get the thing that they're longing for and then feel dissatisfaction, feel disappointment, feel bitterness and pain. Well, what so many people do and what this woman did is she says, oh, well, maybe I just need to find the right husband. This one didn't do, but, well, hold on, maybe that guy, maybe he will give me the thing I'm longing for. Maybe that wasn't the right career. Maybe it's this hobby that will make me feel good about myself. And on and on and on it goes, always longing, never satisfied. Jesus comes to a woman who is doing this, who's skipping around longing, but only finding dissatisfaction and pain. And Jesus comes to her and he says, everyone who drinks of this water, he's standing in front of a well, anyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, the woman gets confused. She's like, where's this water? But Jesus says, effectively, if you keep looking to someone or something to satisfy you, you'll never be satisfied. You'll always be thirsty. You can try love, it will fail you. You can try money, it will fail you. But there is only one thing, one person, who can satisfy us. The true husband. The water that he gives will become in us a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There is only one person worth putting our hope in, the one who makes vows to us and keeps them, the one who lays down his life for his bride. Friends, don't be like Rachel or Leah. Don't set your hopes on the things of this world. Set your hope on your true husband, Jesus. He is the one who loves the unlovable. He is the one who loves the damaged goods. He is the one who sees and hears your pain. And he is the one who offered himself as a sacrifice for your sin so that you might be loved forever. Friends, what is it that you are longing for? You will find the answer to that longing in Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you are the one who looks and sees and cares for the pain of your children. But Lord, we ask that you might help us to see that the things of this world were never meant to satisfy us. Help us to see that it is fruitless putting our hopes in people or in things. Help us to see that you are the one worth hoping in. Lord, when we're tempted to 
establish an identity to find fulfillment and purpose and joy in people or in things. Lord, show us that what you offer us is so much better, so much more satisfying. Enable us to delight in you and in your love for us. And we thank you that you did send your son into the world to be the true husband who would lay down his life for his bride, the church. We thank you that we are recipients of his faithful love. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to hope, to set our hopes on the day when we get to enjoy life forever with him. Do this in us, we pray, for the glory of our husband, our king and our saviour. Amen.